Well, how many of you need help today? You need help with something? We all need help, right? One way or other. I don't know if you've ever screamed, help! If you've ever felt that way, I don't know, maybe since I was a little guy that I've screamed that way. I've heard that scream, and that's going to be a, a scary thought when you hear that scream, especially from the garden. Sometimes people promise to help and they do not come through. I want you to know today, if God promises help to you, He comes through on His promise. As a dad, I, I'm careful about promising things. Uh, I, I rarely promise something. I often will say, we will try to do this. Uh, because I know it's, it's you wonder promises, the things that you promise to do, the things you say you definitely will do, to come through with that. Uh, Buffalo Sabres owner and CEO of a large cable company, uh, following the close of a close loss in the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, promised in 1999 that he would spend enough money on the team the next year to provide the talent to bring home the Stanley Cup to Buffalo, New York. A public promise on the steps of the town square. It's hard to make public promises, isn't it? Uh, the next year, he was indicted by fraud and sent to jail for 15 years. Uh, and the team went back. Be careful what you promise. Very hard to make public promises. When Jesus makes promises, he overdelivers. Uh, he he makes promises and he overdelivers because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could even ask of him. And so we find this promise that was read to you today for a helper. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. It does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you, and this Holy Spirit of God will be in you. These are the last evening Jesus was alive on earth. His earthly ministry, he shared this promise to those intimate followers. And we find here in Acts 1 8 him repeating that promise. And so we're going to look at this text and find actually the fulfillment of that promise and find that Jesus does over deliver on the promise that he makes. He does over deliver on the promise he makes. So let's get to that text. And, and it's going to help us because it's going to give us a good footing for what God shares in Romans chapter 1. Okay, So God delivers on his promises. But I just want to, before we get to that, I just want to back up and say, where does this Romans 1, 1 come in? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called the apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Who is Paul? And where does that fit in with our previous series. Okay, so we've done a few series lately, but remember last year, the series we did, what was the last, the, the long series we did from Christmas to Easter? We did a series on who is Jesus. Um, and we covered the four Gospels and just follow the life of Christ 
from not just Matthew, not just Mark, not just Luke, not just John, but all of them. Through his earthly ministry, his rise, his fall, public, uh, public hatred uh, rose, and his uh, public persona declined in popularity. And then we saw his last week, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then the ascension actually is where we start here in Acts chapter 1. Right, so we're wanting to get to Romans, but we start there. And uh, so we we'll re return to this. Uh, if you remember, the Bible is kind of like a, it's not just one book, it is one book of books. And so it's almost like a shelf. And so you have this Old Testament shelf, your first uh, 36 books of the Bible, and this New Testament shelf, the 27 year. Um, 33 to 27. You have 66 books of the Bible, then, and that's right there. Anyway, we finished the Gospels here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in that series, Surveying the Life of Jesus. And what we're wanting to do is get to the letter shelf here in the book of Romans. This is the first, that's what's found first in your Bible in this shelf called the letters, the epistles. Uh, you have all of these letters, and you'll find that all of these were written by the same person, Paul. And then you have some from Jude, John, Peter, and James. Another one by John. Um, so you have all of these letters. Not sure about Hebrews, actually. Uh, but all these are written by Paul. And so from here to here, what's in the middle there? What's the shelf we're missing? Between the Gospels and the Epistles, we have one shelf. And what is Paul? What is it? History book. You have one book in your New Testament that's history book. The Old Testament, you have a lot of history books. So whenever you open your Bible in the Old Testament, you probably have turned to a history book. Um, in fact, a lot of the first five is history as well. But you have one history book in the New Testament, and actually it's going to take you from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all the way through all the letters. And so what's helpful to do is kind of plot out where all those letters fall in the history book so you know when they're written. Because sometimes you think that Acts comes first, and then comes Romans, and then comes first and second Corinthians, and they come like chronologically, but that's not the case. Um, Acts covers most of those letters. Not all of them, but most of them. All right, so that's what we're going to try to do here. Uh, as we consider, again, this book, uh, the Old Testament preparation of the personal ministry of Christ, the Gospels, the Annunciation, and that's what we handled in the early part of 2022. Uh, then today and, and next week, you guys will pardon us not handling a Christmas message next Sunday. There will be two, I promise. Uh, but, but we just have so much to get through. We're going to look at the book of Acts and get us to the book of Romans. Okay? Acts is the proclamation of the life and ministry of Christ. Now the epistles explain it. And so when we get into Romans, we're just going to settle down. We're not going to rush. We're not going to feel like we're watching TV. Like we need to be watching every 30 seconds something, 3 seconds something change. We're going to take our time and learn the book of Romans and let the Holy Spirit use those words to build us up in the most holy faith. Because it is my, my favorite book of, as far as the epistles. And, and it's just foundational for all of us. 
And then the revelation is the culmination, like if this year Christ, we're actually going to get to the series on that we're going next year in our grace groups. Okay, so that's where we're, we're headed with this. Um, let's just add Acts onto this, okay? So you have this timeline that, that we have roughly 26 ADs, the public ministry of Christ to 30 AD, roughly, um, where Jesus' life and ministry, public ministry, happened. Romans is written around 56 AD, 25 years later. Jesus' ascension, right around here. Um, so, we're going to kind of survey this part of Acts and see where Romans falls into the story of the history of the early church. And, excuse me, put it, put it into our, our uh, framework. So today, we're going to mainly hit one verse, but I'm going to uh, just get through the, all of Acts. Two minutes. Acts 1 through 7, we'll spend a little more time with. And then Acts 1 8 is what will minister to our soul as far as diving into the text. I wonder if I could grab somebody to grab me some water. I have a little tickle. <coughs> I don't think it's going to go away. Um, Thank you. Okay. So, let's summarize Acts. And what's really cool is Acts 1 does just that. Um, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria. Into the end of the year. <clears throat> this is going to make you all call. <laughs> so sorry. <clears throat> I don't, I'm not sick at all. <clears throat> okay. Jerusalem is chapter 1 through 7. So you see that, I'm sorry, so go to Acts 1-1, this, this first book, O Theophilus, I have <clears throat> I've done with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Since every day he was taken up after he delivered the command through the Holy Spirit, the apostles and the chosen. Thank you, Father. God does that, that's fine. <clears throat> but I'm going to get into it, so. Okay. So, Acts chapters 1 through 7 all deal with the witnesses in Jerusalem. The witnesses in Jerusalem. Turn to chapter 8 in your Bible. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. If you look at chap Acts chapter 8, verse 1, you find this interesting man named Saul. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approved of his execution. <clears throat> and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Who would read Acts 8, verse 1? 
Somebody find that and get drilled out here. Got it, Will? Yeah. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul approved of putting Stephen to death. Now that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So here we have Saul, who is persecuting the church, and the, the response to that is they, they flee where? Judea and Samaria. Now look at chapter 13, chapter 13 of Acts. What's fascinating here is by chapter 13, this guy named Saul has become Paul. <clears throat> chapter 13, verse 1, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. They laid hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and there sailed to Cyprus. And so from that point on, the gospel moves from Judea and Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. And it's in the same way. At one point, he's persecuting the church and sending it out. The next point, he's actually promoting the church and sending it out. So that's the story of Acts. But there's one major missing point, and that is the real worker through all of this, right? And who is that? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who's doing all of this. And so we find that in Acts chapter 1 through 7. Okay, but you see that Jerusalem, chapter one to seven, Judea, Samaria, eight through twelve, and then to the end of the year, thirteen to really the end of the end of the book. Okay, and then end up here, where we're here we are, uh, we're, we're worshiping the Lord uh, together. So that's a survey of Acts. Let's move on to a survey of Acts one through seven. Okay. Um, Get in here. Um, we, you know, I don't need to, to spend a whole lot of time on all of this, but but it is important to get the background. Okay, so chapter one will summarize as mission and ascension. Mission and ascension. Chapter one verses. Uh, let's see here. One chapter one verses one through eight really are Jesus giving his mission. And then in verse 9 through 11, there's the ascension. Uh, so the Holy Spirit uh, is promised in 1 through 8. Then Jesus ascends. Then commissioned in verses 12 to 26, they actually vote on the new apostles. The early church votes on the new apostles. Acts 2, uh, we're calling Pentecost and preaching. So this would be 50 days after Jesus' death. Uh, we go from the Passover to uh, Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. The little group that Jesus formed had dwindled down to about 70, and here they are uh, gathering together. Where, where are they? 
Are they making a public spectacle at that point? Well, they're all huddled together by themselves uh, in the upper room uh, waiting for what Jesus has said. In fact, Peter has already left and had to be sent back. But that's where we find them at the beginning of Acts 2. Uh, as they're, they're meeting together, they're staying together, they're doing what Jesus said, but they're definitely, they're definitely not changing the world. Right? So, then what happens? Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. Uh, now, you've probably heard a lot about Pentecost. So, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. It is a, a fascinating scene. It's like they're appearing, and then they come, these little flames of fire come and rest over each one of their heads. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages, other tongues, that's the word language, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit is giving them ability to speak in foreign languages. He explains that. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. At the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own this time they actually translate the word language. Um, so, so there's the Holy Spirit comes, just as Jesus promised in Acts 1.8, manifests himself by, by wind, by fire. And that fire is visible as a flame of fire over each person's head. Um, and then they're able to speak in, in foreign languages. Imagine doing this in Queens. Uh, you would be able to go to Roosevelt Avenue subway stop and go up. That is, there are more languages spoken there than anywhere in the world. And you would be able to come up to this person and speak in their language, this person speak in their language, this person speak in their language. Wouldn't that be so awesome? I don't know. Maybe the Lord will let me do that. I would love it. I would love it. Um, this is what's going on. It's amazing. Uh, but this is a, this, there, there's a sign here. All of these are signs. What, what sign is God giving? We can't take too much time with this. But, but God is giving a sign that what is happening. The church is beginning, and is this church going to stay all Jewish? No. He wants even a mutt like me to come. Someone who has all kinds of different, I don't know, where, where everybody is in my family uh, tree. But he, he wants all the Gentiles to hear the same message. And these are all Jewish Jews. They're, they're, they've come together, and ladies, but they're all Jewish. How in the world are they going to be able to share this message and be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other most parts of the earth, he mentions about 13 different places. It's they, they are going to have to be able to speak these languages. And so we find Pentecost and from there, you see this repeated theme throughout all of Acts. They are being witnesses. They are being witnesses in Jerusalem. They are preaching. And so Peter gets up in Acts chapter 2, 
Verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addresses him, and he preaches. He preaches. They're cut to the heart. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, what should we do? He says, repent, believe the gospel, and they're saved. Right there in Jerusalem. Right there in the temple. And so there is uh, preaching power by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is where all preaching power comes from. It doesn't come from uh, someone's gifting. It doesn't come from uh, humor or personality. Uh, right? The Holy Spirit uses all these elements. But honestly, where, where true power comes from is by the Holy Spirit. And, and some of the the, the least of these who have stood behind a pulpit or have spoken the word with a friend, God has used tremendously because the issue is not the speaker. The issue is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves and works spiritually in such a way that we are, we are shocked at the effects. The effects are not just wind. The effects are life change that lasts forever. The same thing in Acts chapter 3. We move from Pentecostal preaching to healing and preaching. There's a notorious lame man, and he is healed, verses 1 to 10, chapter 3, in Jesus' name. And it doesn't stop there. The healing in Jesus' name is a sign saying, this is the name by which you must be saved. And he says, this is what you must believe. And so he preaches salvation in Jesus' name in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is not about healing. It's about preaching. Acts chapter 2 is not about wanting fire to be on your head. It's about preaching the gospel in other languages. Acts chapter 4, same thing. Preaching, praying, and gathering. This time Peter preaches to the Jewish leaders because they see this man is healed. And they're concerned again that this, what they thought would be stamped out in Jesus, would be awakened again. And so there's preaching, but then they pray because they're threatened. And that becomes a repeated theme in Acts. You have preaching, you have threatening or persecution, and you have praying. But it all has to do with the Holy Spirit making them preach. It's just being witnesses, being witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, through these supernatural signs, the Church gathers together, chapter 30, um, chapter 4, verses 32 and 37. Whenever you have the Spirit working in a church and uh, the church growing, by now it's thousands. What often comes? That crying, uh, internal problems. And it's in the early church too. She's okay, Ron. No, no, I'm Internal problems. That arises, internal problems and external persecution. And so you have chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. This is scary. Read that. Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit, and they are slain on the spot in the middle of church. Wow. In the middle of the gathering. Imagine the fear and awe that would come upon church from Ananias. Verses 14 to 16, amazing signs. In verses 17 to 42, there's a prison because of that. 
But in the middle of their imprisonment, the Holy Spirit releases them. And what do they do? We, we escaped with our lives. Let's run away. And we're right back in the same spot and start preaching again. Chapter 5. If you're in your Bibles, look at chapter 5, verse 42. And it has a summary of that. Chapter 5, verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that this Messiah is Jesus. Chapter 6, similar things, internal problems. You have this, this preaching growing, the word is growing, more people are saved, and so the leadership is being distracted from the public proclamation of the word to other things, and so they, uh, they have to hire deacons in order that they may give themselves to preaching and teaching. And they do that in verses 8 through 15. And then when that happens, chapter 7, there's preaching and martyrdom. Chapter 7 is all one sermon uh, from a deacon, Stephen. Uh, and so our deacons preach as well. And verse uh, 51 to 53, look at, listen to his conclusion. Uh, use, just imagine if I shared this with you after preaching. This is uh, Stephen preaching to the leaders of the Jewish uh, temple that had the authority to crucify Jesus in one sense. Uh, just 50 days earlier. Look at what he says. This all happens, chapter 1 to 7, all happened within the first year of the church. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hardened years, you always resist who? Anybody have it? Verse 51? The Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your father did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you betrayed and murdered. You received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. That didn't go over well. And they, they, they killed him. Saul, who writes Romans, is the one who gives the authority to kill them. So that's chapter 1 to 7. Now what I'd like us to do is take Romans right into verse Verse chapter one, verse eight, and, uh, and 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 dive in there. Get the text in front of us, okay? All right, let's look at this. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Uh, if you have that in front of you, first of all, there's this warning of perspective. This warning of perspective. Who would read chapter 1, verse 6 and 7? Who would read chapter 1, verse 6 and 7? Who would feel like reading? All right, Ford, go ahead. When they therefore come together, they ask of him, saying, Lord, will that at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? They said unto them, Is it not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father hath put? His own power. Okay, so Jesus is appearing, talking to many of them. There may have been hundreds at this event, and uh, and they see him there, resurrected in the flesh. And so they they put the Messiah's uh, army coming and destroying the Romans on hold for just a little bit. As they're like, now is time, right, Jesus? 
Now is when your second coming is, and you're going to make the Romans beg for mercy. And Jesus says, no. He says, this is not, that, that's coming, but that's not for you to know. It's fascinating, isn't it? Right? And so, Dominic gets right in the book on end times. And this is an interesting thing. No man knows the day or the hour. And so we study and we understand. But what we often can get caught up in trying to set a time. Jesus says, that's not what it's about. You're going to be ready. And then he says, but you. Alright? So, so they're thinking, you, Jesus, you come and set up your kingdom. You make the Romans bow the knee to you. You feed us. Take care of us. Found your church. Make it special. Make it seen. Right? You fulfill all these prophecies in the Old Testament about the second coming. They're saying, you, Jesus, you, Jesus, you. What does he say? It's not time for that. But you. And that points to all of you. That points to me. Uh, we have to have this, this very important perspective. And it's a warning. We, we can get caught up in waiting, waiting, waiting. And we're not witnessing. We're not being a witness. Um, in fact, that's what happened in Thessalonica. And, and Paul writes a whole letter to them. Because some of them had sold everything they had, and they went up and looked on the outside, and they're like, Come, Jesus! And they just had this communion there, waiting together. Not being a light, not influencing anyone for the gospel. And so, Jesus, this is really the context of this verse. Um, this is not something to put on Jesus or say his kingdom is going to uh, be instituted by him in the future. The idea is you, church, you, Peter, James, and John, you, Daniel, Marsh, and Eve, right? and all of us, the, the, the finger of this Lord verse is pointing to me, Tim, but you, Tim, times the church gets lulled to sleep. Um, this is what motivated Carey, William Carey, to write a, a book that's called An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen, for the Gentiles, in which the religious state of the different nations of the world, the success of former undertakings, and the practicability of further undertakings are considered. That's the title? That's the title. Number one on the New York Times bestseller. Not enough room there for the picture on, on that jacket. That's quite the title. But in his time, that was a revolutionary thought because people were overlooking those two words. But you, not just the pastors, but you, not just Jesus, but you. In fact, as he shared this, one senior pastor who was old, and had been lulled to sleep by just getting up and teaching each Sunday, but not sharing the gospel. As Carrie was giving his presentation, exclaimed, Young man, sit down. When God is pleased to convert the heathen word, he will do it without your help or mine. Imagine that. 
sometimes we get into that spirit, don't we? It may just be busyness. Um, it may be other priorities. Um, but this calling is to you in Queens. Uh, to you in Forest Hills and Kew Gardens. Uh, this is a warning or perspective that this command is for me. It's not just Peter, James, and John. This command is for two. But you have to go on the next one, don't you? Waiting for power. Waiting for power. But you, and then we have a few questions here. Uh, what, when, and why? Uh, three questions. What would they receive? What would they receive? Power. Power. We, we need power that goes beyond us. There needs to be this force. This this force that performs a specific function, this enabling. Uh, the, the disciples to this point had were powerless. When would they receive the power? When what? What does the text say? You will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so he said, wait. The Holy Spirit to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. This is the timing. The timing is when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you and the power. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. Now, sometimes he enables us to feel certain ways, right? One of the fruit of a fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is the person of God indwelling you, empowering your work. Sometimes we categorize the Holy Spirit as only supernatural or only unusual. And I think that's a, a, an improper focus because that means if I'm not going to Roosevelt Island and speaking foreign languages, I'm never empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what it does is it, it pushes aside the normal work of the Holy Spirit in everyday life. Uh, and I need the Holy Spirit to preach. I need the Holy Spirit to be a dad. I need the Holy Spirit to like, do everything. And so we can't marginalize the Holy Spirit just for these big things. But then we can't put him in a box either and say he can't do these big things. There's nothing too small for God the Holy Spirit. There's nothing too big for God the Holy Spirit. So, you wait for the Holy Spirit's power. Why would they need the Holy Spirit's power? Well, if, if you go back to that group, you would recognize they really need him. Um, they are hiding. They've been hiding for 50 days. They're huddled down in a locked room. A locked room. Peter has gone fishing, was tracked down by Jesus, and said, okay, he feeds him, and he says, now get back to work. Um, they've denied him, they've given up. One of their closest followers denied him, betrayed him, and killed himself. Here's this little rabbit, little group. Are they ready to change the world? No. And so they definitely need help. God needs to step in. And that's why the Holy Spirit is here. Um, this is, this is what, what God needed to do to empower them. They need to come to the end of themselves 
And the Holy Spirit needed to come to fill them and enable them. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, they wait, and the Holy Spirit enables them, and then you have this witnessing prophesied. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. And we'll follow that here, uh, chapters 8 and following as we survey what happens there. But uh, that's exactly where they go. Um, we find here uh, the end of the earth as far as their day. We have a letter written to all the believers that end up in Rome. And you find Paul wanting to get there. And so he writes a letter to them saying, eventually I'm going to come to you. And in fact, the end of the book of Acts, he's sitting in Rome. And uh, he's, he's with those people that he wrote to. So they would need this. They would need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're taking notes, let me just have you write down a few verses here in <coughs> chapters 1 to 7 to demonstrate this. And then we'll apply it and we'll be done. Um, look at, again, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was giving them that utterance. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers, elders of the people, and he preaches. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 5, verse 30, verse 30 and 32. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those who obey him. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, to serve as a deacon. And then we find him in Acts chapter 7, the very end, as he's being killed, uh, being stoned. Acts chapter 7, verse 55, this group that was being empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness, the preacher uh, preaching the gospel are empowered to die uh, for that gospel. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so we find in actual um, the carrying out of what Jesus prophesied. It's a prophecy that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then they go throughout Jerusalem, this chapters 1 to 7, and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit uses that in a powerful way to bring thousands of people into the church, but they're needing grace to minister through deacons, and so the deacons are filled with the Spirit to minister. And then persecution arises, and so they pray for the Holy Spirit to give them strength to stand strong and bold in persecution, and they do so through the power of the Holy Spirit, even unto death. Because that's what they're called to do. 
Jesus. All right, here in closing, application first. Why do we need power? Why do you need power today? Um, there may be many things right now that we need power. You need the Holy Spirit for that. Right? And so I would just ask you to, to, to call to the Lord. <clears throat> Jesus told a little story of, of a little child who um, asks for bread from his daddy. Right? And if, if my child asked me for a donut, would I give him stone? No. No, I would give him a donut. Um, if, if you come to your Heavenly Father and ask for Holy Spirits, uh, He will give you that help. He will give you that help. And so today you may need help in your classroom setting. You may need help in your home. You ever ask the Holy Spirit to help you keep things organized? <clears throat> you may need help as you minister the gospel to your co-workers. You may need help with wisdom in making decisions, uh, big life-changing decisions for each day. Right? This is what the Holy Spirit helps us with. We can go on and on and on. This is the bread that we ask for, daily bread from our Father. Lord, please, enable me by your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. This task is beyond me. And sometimes we need to get to the point that is where we find his power, his enabling power. And I think this is important for our church. And we ask the power, this is one of our prayer requests, we ask for the Holy Spirit's power in preaching. Uh, as we pray for the Lord, even in our giving, we pray for the Holy Spirit to enable us in our giving. Um, because it's all his work. This is how God works in his church today. But the last uh, point of application here, <clears throat> what is our ultimate power and passion purpose? the power of the Holy Spirit, according to these texts, is what? Yeah, to be a witness of Jesus. To tell people around me what Jesus has done in my life. Uh, how he's changed. And, and again, we'll go back to that, that point that you can't do this yourself. You need his enabling grace. You need his power. This is a, a great time of year to do that. And so I would encourage you um, to, to consider uh, consider asking in closing. We'll have a time of quiet here. Ask God. Uh, you can bring whatever help you need. And I would encourage you to do that in closing quiet. But Lord, give me help with this through your spirit. Give me help with this through your Holy Spirit. But would you please ask the Lord's Spirit for power to be a witness, to be a witness of the glorious gospel of Jesus. Uh, and he's going to enable you to do that. Let's pray. Heads bowed, and eyes closed. We'll close in prayer for just a moment. But let's all respond to the message of Acts 1 8. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be back lobby uh, for a moment. We'd be happy to pray with you. And just a moment, we'll close in prayer. Let's all respond to this message here.